0: Unconscious with head injuries. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3.
1: Money Talk. Good morning. It's 8.03 in Hong Kong on the final day of the week, Friday the 18th of March. This is Money Talk on Radio 3 with me, Peter Lewis. The Hong Kong Monetary Authority raised its benchmark interest rate by 25 basis points after the U.S. Federal Reserve did the same. The HKMA yesterday increased the base lending rate in the SAR to three-quarters of a percent, keeping its rate 50 basis points above that of the U.S. Federal Reserve. Hong Kong's unemployment rate for the three-month period ending in February has risen to 4.5%, the highest since September 2021. The latest figure marks a substantial jump from the 3.9% logged over the previous three months. Almost all major sectors saw increases in both the jobless and the underemployment rate. The unemployment rate for the catering sector surged by 1.9 percentage points to 8.1%. The jobless rate for the arts, entertainment and recreation centre also increased sharply by 2.9 percentage points to 8.2%. The Bank of England has raised interest rates for the third time since December at its meeting yesterday after consumer price inflation in the UK hit an almost 30-year high in January of 5.5%. The UK's central bank lifted its key rate to 3 quarters of a percent from half a percent and said further increases might be needed over the coming months, although it added that there are risks on both sides of that judgment. Taiwan surprised economists on Thursday. With the biggest interest rate hike since 2007, in a move to contain rising inflation, Taiwan's central bank raised borrowing costs 25 basis points to 1.375%, the first rate hike since 2011. And China is allowing some factories in Shenzhen to restart following the lockdown that was imposed on the city from Sunday. Officials said virus controls should be coordinated with economic development iPhone maker Foxconn has been allowed to partially resume its operations in Shenzhen by deploying a so-called closed-loop system, which effectively puts factory workers in a bubble, insulated from outside infection. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Andrew Ferris at UCAP Hong Kong Asset Management and William Ma from Grow Investment Group. In the second part of the show, we're joined by Dr. George Cawthorley, Vice Chairman of the Hong Kong International Chamber of Commerce.
0: Money Talk.
1: On Wall Street, your stocks have risen for a third day as investors digest the Fed's rate hike plans. The S&P 500 index rose 1.2% to 4,412, taking its rally for the week to almost 5% in the biggest weekly gain since November 2020. The Dow jumped 418 points to 34,481. And as that composite index added 1.3%, ending the day at 13,615 and bringing its weekly gain to 6% so far, the pan European Stock 600 index rose half a percent. London's FTSE 100 jumped 1.3% higher. Hong Kong stocks continued their spectacular rally on Thursday in what is shaping up to be the most volatile week for Chinese stocks listed in Hong Kong, mainland China, and New York in history. The Hang Seng Index soared 7% or 1,414 points to 21,501 as investors piled back in after Beijing's pledge to support the markets. The Hang Seng Tech Index jumped 7.8%, following a record-breaking 22.2% rebound the previous day. The Shanghai Composite rose 1.4% to 3,215, while the Shenzhen Composite Index on China's second exchange added 2.2%. Mainland property developers continued their rallies after China's top regulators vowed to take measures to stabilise the housing market and signalled the property tax pilot scheme won't expand this year. Sunak China surged 59% in Hong Kong, while Times China jumped 42.5%. Evergrande rose almost 18%. In the commodities markets, oil has settled almost 9% higher after the International Energy Agency warned that about 3 million barrels of Russian crude could be cut from global markets. That represents about 3% of the world's market, in what the energy watchdog said threatened to become the biggest supply crisis in decades. Green crude oil is at $106.93 a barrel. Gold broke a four-session losing streak, climbing 0.8% to $1,943 an ounce. The U.S. 10-year Treasury bond yield fell three basis points to 2.17%. And the U.S. dollar index is 0.4% weaker this morning. The euro is trading at $1.11. The buck's at 118.5 Japanese yen. The British, British pound, that's at $1.31.5 and 10 Hong Kong dollars and 28 cents. The Chinese yuan is changing, trading at 6.36 and a half in offshore markets. And Bitcoin is slightly lower at $40,900. Around Asian stock markets uh, this morning, down in Australia, first of all, the SX200 up a quarter of a percent. The Nikkei 225 in Japan has risen about a third of a percent shortly after the open. The Cosby in South Korea is flat, but futures markets pointing to a decline of about 350 points for the Hang Seng at the open this morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 9 let's join our guests on the phone we have with us our regular Friday commentator Andrew Ferris Chief Strategist at UCAP Hong Kong Asset Management. Morning Andrew. Good morning. And also with us is William Ma, Chief Investment Officer at Grow Investment Group. Morning, Morning to you William. Morning, Peter. Um, Let me start by asking you both about the Fed. The Federal Reserve has really kicked off the most aggressive tightening of monetary policy we've seen in decades. It raised interest rates for the first time since 2018, as we know, on uh, Wednesday night. Uh, for, uh, with inflation hitting a 40-year high. But the central bank has also uh, signalled six more rate hikes uh, this year. That's basically a rate hike at every single meeting. I wanted to get your thoughts, first of all, Andrew, on that. What is the significance of that? Are, are you surprised about how aggressive maybe they're being?
2: Uh, two things here. First, they have said it so many times in the last six months, so this doesn't come as a surprise. And In a way, it is, uh, they, managed to, they managed to manage expectations quite well in the sense that they delivered when they said they would and by how much they are planning to do. Uh, the second point is, is uh, whether this is going to last the course uh, to the extent that uh, Powell pointed out at the labor market, pointed out at uh, output, pointed out, of course, at inflation. That is uh, particularly upsetting, whether six is really uh, a a good number. I personally and quietly, and I'm afraid I have absolutely no quantifiable basis to explain that. I reckon after the third hike, they may very well decide to take a deep breath.
1: Mm, He said uh, that inflation is too high, the labour market is overheated. He said the labour market is tight to an unhealthy level and that's leading to wages that are moving up that are not consistent with 2% inflation over time. Quite a, quite a hawkish statement, wasn't it?
2: It was, but uh, all this, as usual, depends. You see, the, the issue with this is, is they're both leading and following the numbers. And uh, given that uh, the war right now uh, is not doing a great deal about the global economy. I, let's say I was a little bit surprised of how aggressive it was in the middle of an event, namely the war, which uh, continuously is pressing, not just prices, but it's pressing, of course, the actual output. But anyway, as you mm. say, I have really no quantifiable reason to tell you that I reckon after the third hike, they may very well take a break.
1: William, what's your what's your thoughts, and particularly in terms of the impact yeah. on the market? So, are they prepared for this?
3: Yeah, my my view is maybe um, it may need more than six times because you know inflation is um, going up and could be even higher from a demand side, a strong you know kind of like job market create a strong demand in terms of consumption but i think we have to look at the supply side of the story which when we talk to some of the upstream chinese manufacturing and producer actually they have been raising you know kind of like courses and prices already Mm. so if the demand side is coming back i believe you know the inflation number would be higher than people expected maybe in the second half of this year in which maybe a more aggressive kind of like rate hike, you know path would be needed
1: so then the, the Fed really has got to try and uh, dampen down that consumer demand, particularly for commodities, to try and uh, get supply and demand back in line. So you're saying it, they may have to be more aggressive to do that.
3: Exactly. And it would be hard, right? Because, because we are in a post-COVID situation, hopefully in second half, and people globally want to consume more. And then uh, if you kind of like cool off it too much, all the effort, you know, being laid out in the last six to 12 months would be gone. So I think Mm. my view is inflation would be stay higher than people expected because, you know, the up supply cost, if you like, is really high when there is demand coming back, the pricing power back to the supplier, if you like.
1: Mm. Andrew, the, the last time consumer price inflation was 7.9%, the Fed funds rate was 13%. That was back in 1980. We used to have, you, I'm sure you know, the Taylor Rule, which tries to tell us where interest rates should be relative to inflation. Surely they should be much, much higher than a quarter of a percent, should they? Does the, well, the Taylor the, Rule still apply?
2: The Taylor Rule has gone out of the window for a long time now, as have, <laughs> the, as have the impact of uh, growth of money stock on inflation and I still I'm quietly sniggering okay uh, how frequently the supply or the demand interchange places because of course if inflation and that's not what Powell actually said is caused by higher commodity prices and petrol an increase in interest rates have absolutely zero effect on that Mm -hmm. now if it is demand by consumers uh, yes it does and it does it through particularly through the impact on on mortgages So, again, I I am a deep skeptic uh, on uh, the capacity of central banks to change places concerning the so-called demand side or supply side of the economy, and therefore tailor their views on that. If it is supply side, can we please forget interest rates if it is demand side yes it does work i'm not uh, i'm not president erdogan either believing that interest <laughs> rates <laughs> don't have any impact okay
1: okay well just to, to let you know also that professor john taylor who came up with the taylor rule will be on money talk on mondays uh-huh. so we'll see what he thinks about whether his rule still applies <laughs> william what, what do you think is the fed trapped here
3: yeah i think so because you know if if the Inflation is coming back, but the growth is not coming. I think the trap of taxation is really high. And obviously, you know, uh, raising rate is not good enough to cool off the inflation. I think we have to solve, for example, the global logistic problem. And also when uh, the America, the U.S., they try to produce more goods domestically instead of, you know, importing globally. I think that part will push up, you know, the cost of the end product as well, which is not going to be helpful, you know, on the inflation side, as well as it will increase the wages. So I think, you know, the Fed is in a difficult situation to contain inflation.
2: Fed also might find itself uh, that it is, uh, as uh, memorably Warren Buffett said, is the guy without a swimsuit when uh, the tide <laughs> goes out. Okay. Um, because quietly, and nobody paid any attention to that, I must admit I'm absolutely furious, is uh, the day before the Fed increased, the People's Bank of China said we're not changing interest rates. Mm. We're not cutting them, we're not increasing them. It's only the fourth biggest economy in the world. And equally, of course, the japanese the bank of japan also had made absolutely no movement I, you know i'm sorry this my, my needle is stuck when i look at the four major economies one has increased interest rates the european central bank may very well do so china has actually cut interest rates and japan has done nothing mm. so i'm not going to go around telling you that uh, interest rates are increasing globally because they are not
1: Where does oil fit into this, the surge that we've seen in oil prices, although it it has moderated a bit from the highs we saw last week. The the relationship, Andrew, between oil and inflation, it's not as straightforward as people like to make out, is it?
2: Not in the slightest, because if if you do something incredibly stupid, and I did because I'm stupid and I like doing stupid things, is I looked at the role of oil uh, widely, both as a simple commodity and as an input into other services, particularly transport, in all the major cpi indexes it varies enormously in china and we don't know the components we do not know the components i'm using do not know the specific weight components i'm using an estimate by by bloomberg apparently oil has a 3.5 percent weight mm. wow i mean yeah this. Uh, yes, but uh, please so yes it is not at all direct you know oil prices double and therefore inflation double no it doesn't plus mm. the fact it is a very crude and a very stupid mistake to make is if oil price double, for the price to double and stay double for a year, the oil price has to stay doubled for one year. Yeah. If it goes up on Monday and comes down on Tuesday, it doesn't.
1: Okay. William, I want to ask you about this spectacular rally we've seen in Chinese equities, which was followed by the most spectacular slump on Monday and t- Tuesday that we've seen in Chinese equities, I have i think this is the most volatile week for chinese equities in in history what do you make of this have 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 stocks bottomed now did they reach such an oversold uh, level that we're now seeing a sustainable rally or do you think this is a dead cat bounce what what do you think
3: well i think you know it marks the first kind of slight bottom because you know what we call earlier people are waiting for a policy bottom if you like and what Liu He has mentioned across different sectors has actually draw a line of the bottom of the policy. For example, real estate, you know, internet company, and other sectors. And I think the key point is, if you like, is this week the V shape is a combination of resurgence of COVID. And for example, I'm in Shanghai now when I talk to some of the other fund managers during, in the week, people are being kind of like locked down at their home instead of their offices. Mm. I think, you know, the retail investor create extra, you know, panic, you know, when they are seeing resurgence of COVID quickly that uh, escalate, you know, the sell down of the market. But again, I think when the policymaker coming out with this kind of like bottom line, the sentiment has somehow improved it. And if people are actually try to refocus on the good economic figure in January and February. For example, the fixed asset investment was 12.2%, much higher than the 7.9% people expected. I think the key uncertainty, if you like, for the next two, three weeks, is how quickly the Omicron is being contained, which Mm. I think in certain cases now is being, you know, the first leg is okay. If that is being contained, I think the rebound has a more solid ground, if you like, Peter.
1: The the Vice Premier, Vice Premier Luho, he addressed a lot of the concerns that investors have had in recent months, haven't they, such as uh, the, the regulation of the internet, sector the platform economy dealing with property uh, stocks and so on but does this need to be followed up now with real concrete action not just words for this rally to continue do we need to see some concrete actions
3: we do and um, for example on the real estate side actually there are already early signs in some of the tier three tier four cities that certain part of you know home mortgages are being released you know if you like if you're an investment professional in the villages, actually, the second home mortgages, you know, the bank are being more kind of like implemented. But now with a much more strong and clear message from the central government, I believe more banks, more cities in China later on will roll out, you know, more, mm-hmm. uh, you know, home buyer friendly policies. Like, so those need to be monitored. But again, I think for a, a high rank, you know, government official making this message has already calmed down a lot of the uncertainties.
1: Andrew, what's the impact of this latest COVID outbreak on the mainland, on the economy? It's a sort of, people have sort of, I've heard lots of tales of doom and gloom, but it isn't a countrywide lockdown, is it? And it's not the same sort of lockdown either that we saw at the beginning of the pandemic a couple of years ago.
2: Uh, You know, Peter, the the world is now populated by uh, armchair epidemiologists, (laughs) and uh, I don't want to become one of those because, as I said, the doctor before my name refers to a uh, a PhD in economics, not a PhD in medicine. So what we see actually in China is uh, something absolutely logical. Okay, the notion that you can completely isolate uh, the second biggest economy in the world and 1.2 billion people till you are absolutely certain there is no more COVID was was simply physically unattainable. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's that's the end of the story. You know, they came now to the end of the unattainability. They cannot really control it, not the way they want. Yeah. And of course it's becoming more and more expensive and uh, we've just seen mention in a, a television interview yesterday of C saying, well, we might uh, just perhaps uh, moderate it. Okay, so it, I'm not gloating, and neither I'm saying, see, I told you so, it was simply logical that a kind of infection, that uh, it is highly infectious. In a large population that, uh, by necessity, stays closely together and walks together and lives together, the notion that you could cast a wall around China and keep it there for a couple of years till it all goes away—even if it did—then the moment you opened it, China would be a huge island in the middle of a raging wave of non-control. Practically all the countries now are dropping it. Okay, okay. St- starting with the UK,
1: no controls whatsoever. Bye-bye. You get COVID, you get COVID. All right. Well, on that note, I'm afraid we have to finish for this week. That's Andrew Ferris, Chief Strategist at UCAP Hong Kong Asset Management. William Ma, Chief Investment Officer at Grow Investment Group. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. On the phone now is Dr. George Cawthorley, who is vice chairman of the Hong Kong International Chamber of Commerce. Very good morning to you, George. Good morning, Peter. Um, I want to start by asking you about uh, the epidemic measures, the anti-epidemic measures here in Hong Kong, and in particular something Carrie Lam said yesterday. She said she has a very strong feeling that people's tolerance is fading. She said, I have a very good feeling that some of our financial institutions are losing patience about the isolated status of Hong Kong. So I'm wondering, perhaps you can tell us from your perspective and also the perspective of your members whether Mrs. Lam's feelings are right or not. Are companies and financial institutions losing patience about the isolated status of Hong Kong?
4: Well, it has taken her a very long time to get that realisation. I mean, we as a chamber uh, put out a statement uh, early in the second half of last year uh, along along these lines saying that... uh, you know, we need to have the borders open um, because of Hong Kong's international status as a financial center, and our economy is an external economy. Mm. Uh, We've been saying that uh, for, you know, ever ever since probably I think it was around September or October we put that statement out. Um, So yes, I mean, I think uh, the business community as a whole um, has been calling for relaxation. Um, And of course, uh, I think Probably the, the latest boost was Alan Zeman. <laughs> Perhaps, you know, I think she had to listen to him.
1: <laughs> mm. <laughs> so out of these anti-pandemic measures that have been imposed on Hong Kong. What What's the most urgent ones that need to be lifted for to help life for your members? Is it the border controls or the border yes, the it's closures? Board, yeah,
4: it's, yeah I, mean, uh, I mean, business has been able to go on during this period, um, but at a reduced rate. Um, mm. You do need business travel. Um, so I think the most urgent thing is uh, to lift the quarantine restrictions um, on on people, inbound travelers. Um, and I think some of our medical experts have said in view of the level of Omicron in Hong Kong, uh, it's not going to make any difference um, to, uh, the, the, uh, um, to, to the rate of the increase of the disease uh, if you allow people to come in um, as long as they're vaccinated, I mean, you've got to have some controls. Um, but I th- see, if, if you reduce it to seven days, for instance, that's still really not going to help business. Mm. These days, business trips are short. They're there one to two weeks, sometimes even just a few days. If you've got to, you know, Uh, add another seven days for quarantine, people are not going to take that up. So you've really got to get rid of the seven-day quarantine um, and rely on vaccination. And, And vaccination rates in most places are very high. And you know maybe they want to put some restriction on people coming from countries that have low vaccination rates, but certainly from you know the high vaccination rate come uh, countries as long as you 're vaccinated, you may ask for triple vaccination instead of just double, but I think you know that 's a way to open up the border so that we can get our business travelers in, and of course you know uh, the um uh, tourism industry, you know, is evaporating because uh, the borders are closed.
1: Mm, and Financial Secretary Paul Chan was saying he hopes to have quarantine-free cross-border travel restarting in the second half of this year. He made no mention at all of international borders. Can businesses wait that long? No. Um, I mean,
4: if, if we have to, we will, because we've got no option. Um but, but and it asked in, in our our statement uh, last October say um, we, we we said look um, if China could not open its borders for a prolonged period because of its policy then let's open the borders to the rest of the world um, mm. and I was interested to see that uh, the other day Alan Ze also was making this uh, suggestion as well um, so you know, as, as we're the connection, main connection between China and the rest of the world, as far as the business community is concerned, let's open up to the rest of the world. Um, you know, many of us have businesses in China. We can still work under the current situation with China um, because people go in um, and they do the quarantine and they spend two or three months there. And that's how we manage our factories and businesses. But for the rest of the world, you know, we want them to come here, the business people to come here.
1: What what do you make of the talent exodus that we're seeing? Another 50,000 departures in the first half of March seems to be showing no sign of abating. How how is that impacting uh, businesses and companies here?
4: Well, obviously, well, it's difficult to, uh, you know, calculate Um, what its actual impact is, because, you know, these things take time to work through. Um, And of course, you you lose staff, um, you try and recruit more staff uh, Mm -hmm. to replace them. uh, And it will maybe take you two or three months or a bit longer to realize that maybe you Having difficulties recruiting staff, and it's then impacting your business. It's going to have an impact. I, mean, I think it's very difficult at the moment uh, to um, quantify what that impact is, and it depends on you know what sort of uh, expertise is leaving Hong Kong. I mean, from what I can gather, it's mainly uh, people in in mid-career um, who've got young children. No. Um, and, and are seeking a better future for their young children elsewhere um, so its uh, I mean it's going to have an effect, it, it, undoubtedly it must do.
1: And, and I saw a survey that said the IT industry is losing skilled workers because more than 20% of protect, uh, practitioners have left the city do you think these people will come back and, and can the damage uh, to, to Hong Kong as a business centre, a financial centre be repaired?
4: Well I think Many of them will not come back, uh, um, particularly people who can get good jobs. Uh, I mean, what happened in the run-up to 1997 was there was a whole-scale uh emigration of people um and many of them found it very difficult to get good jobs elsewhere um and they came back as soon as they could you know i had one employee the day he got his canadian citizenship the next day he was on a flight back to hong kong Um, Mm -hmm. uh, um, because he got to get a better job here but uh more and more of uh uh, workforce is in high-skilled areas, like, as you mentioned, IT. Now, you go to UK for IT, and jobs are abundant. Um, and I think people, you know, they spend three or four years there, they get used to it, particularly with children. They don't want to move their children back again. Mm. Um, so so there's going to be some kind of damage um, uh, and some kind of irreparable damage probably as well.
1: And let me ask you briefly about uh, the Shenzhen lockdown and the COVID outbreak that we're now seeing on the mainland. What is the impact of that on, on companies here? Oh, that's much
4: less. Uh, I mean, if you lock down for one week, you're losing about two and a half percent of your productive capacity. Um, you make that up very quickly through overtime. Um, so a lockdown is, is really not going to happen but it's interesting because you mentioned at the start of the program that the Shenzhen authorities were allowing Foxconn and maybe some other companies to resume limited production so they must be concerned it's interesting they must be perhaps more concerned than I am I mean I've had factories in, in Shenzhen and you know when uh, COVID first came remember it was it, Started to really catch on at Chinese New Year 2020, and everyone went off on their usual Chinese New Year jamboree. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when they came back, we couldn't open our factories because the Shenzhen government wouldn't allow us to. And it took about a week before some uh, industries were allowed to open, but only on sort of limited uh, employee levels. Um, so. In Shamjiang, we went through that in 2020, much more protracted. Yeah. it was about three to four weeks before we were back up to full production.
1: Okay, well, thank you very much for joining us, George. That's Dr. George Caultholi, who's Vice Chairman of the Hong Kong International Chamber of Commerce. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Uh, Final look at the markets for this week. The ASX 200 in Australia is up about a quarter of a percent. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 has rallied half a percent at the open. The Cosby in South Korea up 0.1 percent. Uh, here in Hong Kong, it looks like the Hang Seng is going to fall about 350 points. Let me just give you a very quick travel um, announcement, extra traveling time on the Tung Line and Quentong Line is required due to a power supply disruption caused by an overhead line equipment problem near Yamate Station on the Quentong Line. Thank you very much for listening this week. Have a great weekend. Stay tuned for Radio 3's COVID update with Janice Wong and Samantha Butler coming up after the news. The weather forecast for today, mainly fine, foggy in the morning, hot with a maximum temperature of about 29 degrees and rather warm tomorrow. Temperature right now is 22 degrees and it's 94% relative humidity. Times 8.32 and a half. Here's Andrew Shorosky with the half
0: hour news. As Peter just mentioned, the MTR says services on the Quintong line have been delayed due to an overhead cable failure near Yamate Station. Trains between Wampoa and Yamate are running at 10-minute intervals. The MTR says repair works are underway and called on passengers to allow extra time for their journeys. A study has found remote learning can take a toll on children's learning ability, their physical health, and even social skills. The Hong Kong Primary Education Research Association questioned more than 260 primary school teachers and 440 parents in November and held three focus groups this year. One of the association's executive committee members, Steve Wong, said despite the toll of online learning, it was important to note it was a global trend that wouldn't disappear with the pandemic.
3: Normal schooling with classroom teaching, I hope that they can be resumed, all right? But as I said, it is a normal trend of learning. We have to change our ideology that learning is not fun fact, right? So uh, this online learning, learning on the intellect, will have an uh, effect on the autonomous learning on the part
4: of the students. That should be emphasized.
0: Health officials here reported more than 21,000 COVID infections yesterday, down from 29,000 on Wednesday. But the Center for Health Protection's Dr. Chuang Shuk said their tally doesn't necessarily signal a decreasing trend. A further 289 people with COVID have died. Turkey has revealed an outline peace agreement proposed by Russia, apparently aimed at halting the war in Ukraine. The details were discussed in a phone call between President Putin and the Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan. Mr. Erdogan's chief advisor, Ibrahim Kalin, told the BBC's John Simpson what was said. President Putin's demands are concise, and according to Mr. Carlin,
4: four of them are fairly easy to reach agreement on. They include an acceptance by Ukraine that it should be neutral in future and shouldn't become a member of NATO. Other demands include a denazification clause, and there are undertakings as well to protect the Russian language.